Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning, Hope Rock Church. Good to see everybody again. When I say again, I mean for the first time. <laughs> Woo, okay. You're like, what the heck? We went chair again. Uh, anyway, except for Joe. Joe, good to see you again, buddy. Uh, Antum, sorry, Antum and cats, yes. Okay, but you guys are like here yeah, all the time. I mean, you know. Anyway, uh, if you're a visitor, welcome. We are always glad to have visitors. If you don't know who I am, my name is Marco. This is my wife, Kat. We have the awesome privilege of serving alongside many other mighty men and women of God in this team called Hope Rock Church. Uh, we have the privilege of leading it. So if you want to get to know us, we'd love to get to know you too. So stick around afterwards, have a cup of coffee with us. Some quick announcements before we get started. I also want to welcome everyone that's joining us online. If you are perhaps new to Hope Rock Church, been coming for a while, you're not, not really sure about a lot of the depth of what we believe in and want to get, get to know us a little bit more. I don't know why Kelsey's laughing at me. We want to invite you to join our DNA course. It's uh, basically a morning, not too long. It says 9 to 12, but normally we're done by 11.30. It's really casual. It's a great way for you to ask us questions about who we are. We get to tell you about who we are. We get to chat. We get to eat breakfast tacos, which for most people is the highlight of the day. And so if anything, if you're hungry on a Saturday morning and you want a free breakfast, it's it's really great here. Um, And we even send you some home for your kids if you want. We do have childcare provided for that anyway. So if you want to register, please register on the Church Center app. Second announcement is we're still trying to raise some more sponsorship for some kids in Roatan. We have a heart for this island. We have an open door to this island. We spend a lot of time on this island reaching the people of Honduras through Roatan. Uh, And we've got about 110 kids that we want to sponsor for Christmas. What that means is we want to give them Christmas gifts, which they don't get, and also toiletry or hygiene packs as well. So far, We've got 70 kids out of the 110 that are sponsored. If you haven't sponsored a child and you would like to, go online. You just can, you can choose how many kids you want to sponsor, and you can just sponsor it there. And essentially what that means is you'll help us fill backpacks for their Christmas presents. We are going to Rotan at the end of November, and so we'd love to take the gifts with us then. Um, so please go online if you're interested. All the details are there. You can also reach out to Kerry. Put your hand up, Kerry. She's the one spearheading this initiative, and so you can ask her all the questions you want. In fact, just ask her questions anyway. Uh, it's helpful for her too. Keeps her mind going. Uh, we're going to be starting a new <laughs> dinner and doctrine uh, sort of teaching event. These are events that are going to happen once a quarter, uh, and we're going to basically be looking at different aspects of theology. You know, this first one is not really a deep theological concept, but it's more a value, a value that we honor as a local church. You might not know this, but on Tuesday nights, we gather to pray between 7 and 7.30. We gather in that room, and people pray together. We pray for the city. We pray for this church. We pray for the nation. We pray for whatever God's laying on our heart. And so on the 26th, we're going to take that prayer time and we're going to turn it into an hour where we'll talk about what it means to pray corporately, how to pray corporately. You know, if there's any fears that you have in praying corporately, we'll deal with those things. Ask questions like, why do we have to pray? What, does it ha- what happens when we pray? And then we'll spend time practicing in that session to pray for each other and obviously pray for our city. So if you're interested in that, there's no registration required. You can just come and show up on the 26th. If you haven't been baptized, sorry, I know there's a lot of announcements there. If you haven't been baptized, want to get baptized, we are going to be baptizing on the 7th of November. Uh, And so if you want to come chat to myself, Kat, Tim, any one of the deacons, just let them know that, you know, you want to honor Jesus' command and be baptized. We have a custom-built, very fancy horse trough that is amazing to be baptized in. uh, And hopefully it won't be too cold by then. So anyway, it's adventure baptisms. It's always fun. You want to be a part of it. And lastly... 
volunteers. If you're a volunteer and you haven't registered for the appreciation dinner, which is happening next week, Sunday, please register today. Today's the last day to register. It's going to be super awesome, the most amazing dinner in the history of the universe. I'm telling you that right, right now because I know that for a fact because that's what I was told to say, and so I'm saying it. I'm just kidding. Okay. Finally, the announcement's over. Before I get started... Uh, on the other stuff, I just want to thank the team as well. Crystal, Charlie, the amazing work that they do when we're not around, the deacons, the volunteers who put everything together and just make this you know, Sunday morning run so seemly. I know we're not a big church, but it's amazing how much stuff it takes to run just you know, a little you know, lampstand like this. And I just want to honor the team and thank them for all their faith, faith I was about to say faithless, faithful work you know, in all that they do. They are amazing. However, I do want to raise one sort of point of contention um, because I, f- I feel like I have to redeem myself a little bit. You see, whenever I go to the beach, Charlie has the tendency to make fun of me. You know, he tells people how, especially around fishing, that I'm not a really capable fisherman. And I say this in front of Tony, who's a professional fisherman, you know. Charlie says that I always steal my kids' fish to try and make it look like I'm the one catching the fish, and I don't really do anything. And it hurts my feelings, right? And so I just want to just set the record straight, because that statement is simply not true. I don't steal my children's fish. I am a fisherman, and to prove that... I wasn't supposed to share this. In fact, I've been asked not to share it, but I'm going to share it with you. I'm under non-disclosure, so I'm going to ask you not to talk about it ever again, okay? I want to show you a picture of why I was in Port Aransas last week. You see, I was contacted by Discovery Channel, okay? (laughs) You know, and they asked if I could come in there and basically help them with filming the new Shark Week, okay? Catherine got a role too. She's the mermaid. It's going to be really awesome. And so what I'm saying to you guys is Charlie is incorrect. I'm a very avid fish. I'm a great shark catcher. And I just want you to know that just so that there's never any doubt in your mind. Thank you, Charlie, for giving me the opportunity just to show everyone how awesome I am. Thank you. If you're here and you're new, you're probably wondering, oh my gosh, is this church or what's happening here? This place is weird. The good news is if you are here, and you are looking at this, you need to know we love having fun here. You know, church should be fun. It can be fun. We don't have to be serious all the time. I know the world's got enough serious stuff in it. This place should be a place where we feel safe and where we can hang around and just have a good time together. We are going to be continuing with our series on the modern-day Reformation this morning. So let me start my clock now so that I don't run over, which is a series that focuses on the events of the Reformation, an event that happened 504 years ago. One where Jesus corrected some things that were happening in the life of the church. Uh, I think you can put the next slide up, Mike. I just want to just bring your attention to Charlie there in the bottom corner because I haven't finished with him yet. That's Charlie the Reformer. I know I said no more jokes. This is one more joke. Okay, Charlie was alive during the Reformation, and so I thought I'd just put him on one slide so you could see what he looked like back then. You'll notice his hairstyle hasn't changed much. But anyway, back to the Reformation. Okay, I promise you, no more jokes. No more jokes, guys. The Reformation was a course correction for the church. Jesus had to step into the life of the church to fix it. And just like sort of the Reformation taught the church then some principles, I believe that God wants to teach some principles to the church today using the Reformation as a lens. Now, often we can think about that statement and say, but you know, is it really necessary for God to do anything you know, in the modern-day church? I mean, the church is perfect, right? I mean, we've got no issues in the church. We're better than it's ever been, right? No. It's not. It's not true, right? The fact is we're human beings. And so all the time we need correction. All the time we need to be reminded of things. God has to lift up a mirror to us at times and say, hang on, look at your lives. Look at the scriptures. Look at what I said and look at where you are. And how do we get back to where you need to be? And the reason why Jesus does this is because he wants to come back to marry his bride. And so he wants a mature church, a thriving church, a victorious church, a church that's not scared of the world, not running in defeat, a church that's on the front foot, victorious, taking ground from the enemy. And so last 
So the last two weeks we've covered two of these five solas that were discovered during the Reformation. If you're not sure what a sola is, it's really just an alone statement, and there's five of them. We've covered in week one sola scriptura, which means that the word of God is our final authority. So it's scripture alone. That's what it means in the Latin, translated to English. And I asked a question during that week, and that was, what is the final authority in your life? Is it God? Or is it something else? Is it your finances? Is it your 401k? Is it the political systems of the day? Is it perhaps your spouse or your children? You know, in some cases, I think my children, sometimes you know, they're pretty awesome, but pretty strong as well. But the truth is, if the word of God is not the thing that we follow, then we're in trouble. And so that was week one. Week two, last week, Charlie did a great job of unpacking grace. Sola gratia means it's by grace alone that we are saved. And he reminded us of this powerful picture, a picture of how grace is represented. You see, we often and sometimes can think that grace is, you know, God just throwing a life preserver to us on the surface of the ocean. But we're swimming. We're not really drowning. And God's just giving us a helping hand. When, in fact, Charlie reminded us that grace is actually Jesus diving off the cross, swimming to the bottom of the ocean and rescuing our lifeless and dead corpses. Grace is not about us going from bad people to good people. It's about us being resurrected from the dead. And this morning, we're going to continue. We're going to continue this journey of truth by unpacking another equally and critical uh, solar. In fact, I believe this is probably the foundational solar. From this, we can launch off into the rest. You're probably wondering why we do it now. Well, because that's just the way it's said, right? That's the way the scripture comes across. So we're doing it now. And that's the, the, the solar of solar fide or faith alone. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray. And then we can jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. And I pray this morning that you would reveal faith to us in ways that we've never seen it before. Lord, we give you our hearts, we clear our minds, and we say, Lord, do what you want to do in this place, in our hearts, in our midst. Holy Spirit, move amongst us. And we know that your word says that your word will never return void. And so I pray that that would be the, the very, very truth this morning, that whatever we hear this morning would take deep root in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a little bit of historical context about the Reformation. You know, why did... And why was sola fide necessary at the time of the Reformation? The church during that period of time, 504 years ago, in fact, probably a little bit earlier than that, had started to teach people that it wasn't enough to believe in Jesus on the cross. Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected from the dead, wasn't the only way or the only thing that you needed to be saved. And so the church started teaching people that they needed works before they got saved. And so there was this sort of degree of holiness that you had to achieve before you could ever even enter into the kingdom of God. Now that we, we know is wrong, okay? There is no such thing in the Bible. But what's worse is the, the church would also teach people that if they could get saved, which was really hard to do, but let's just imagine people did get saved, that they had to continuously maintain their salvation by adding more and more works on top of it. Because guess what? Salvation can be lost, just like this. And so it ends up, people walked around with a lot of guilt, a lot of shame a lot of legalism, a lot of religiosity, always trying to please this God that could never, ever be pleased. Now, we think about that when it comes to today. And we think, how does that apply to our lives today? I mean, we don't do that anymore. Surely we're free. We don't honor those types of beliefs anymore. We've moved on. We've become modern. Well, guess what? We still struggle at times to believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And I'm not going to ask you to show me your hands and admit that, but the truth is we all doubt it at times. The enemy is really good at bringing doubt into our hearts, into our lives. He wants us to never really believe in the finished work of the cross. And the reason why we doubt it quite often is that it's hard for us to admit that our own pride or self-righteousness has nothing to do with our salvation. 
You see, we want to believe that there is something in, in us that is redeemable. We want to think that there is something I can do that will make God love me more than you know, somebody else. When the fact is, there is nothing we can do. It's an issue of letting go, of relinquishing control in our lives. And we don't like to be without control, right? Everybody's a control freak. Some worse than others, but we all like to have control. And knowing that God has the prerogative to forgive us and give us salvation is hard at times. When we do that, we start to have this tendency appear in our lives where we treat things like reading scripture or praying or doing devotionals with the Lord. We start to treat these things instead of blessings as burdens. I say that because they become works, right? They become ways where we prove to God how holy we are and how good we are and how much we can, how many times we read the Bible in a year. I would encourage you to read the Bible, please. I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible. This is a good thing to read. But the problem is, is when this becomes the mechanism of me proving to God that I'm worthy, it becomes a challenge. Because here's the thing, when, and not if, because it will happen, you miss your daily reading, you don't do your devotional, you forget to pray. Instead of praying with your children before you put them to bed, you scream at them. All of a sudden, I mean, I've never done that. I just want you to know that. I'm sure some of you have done it, but I've been a really good parent. I'm just kidding. I have screamed at my children before they go to bed, and guess what happens? The enemy comes in and says, you know what? That really wasn't a godly thing to do. God clearly doesn't love you anymore. You've lost your salvation. You aren't safe anymore. You need to repent. You need to heap on all of this guilt. You need to be sorry for what you've done because God is disappointed in you, Marco. How many of you have ever felt that God's disappointed in you? Okay, everybody in this room has felt that God has disappointed them. You know what Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 5? He says, who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? You know what they were doing then? They were heaping more and more burdens back on themselves. You see, Jesus wasn't enough anymore. And so they started to add to the cross. They started to add these things that we're talking about this morning, works and proving that they were righteous and doing all of these you know, things that made them seem like God loved them even more. And Paul called them fools. Jesus loves us. There is nothing we can do about that. And the only way we can avoid in living in a place of burdened or sort of doubt or you know, feeling less than is by knowing that our salvation is a product of grace alone through faith alone. And so let's start with what does faith alone even mean? Charlie read this passage last week. I'm going to read it again because it's really powerful. Turn it in your Bibles. If you've got them to Ephesians chapter 2, it's going to be up on the screen as well. We're going to read from verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul uses some interesting and important words in these two verses, and I just want to spend a few minutes unpacking some of these words. The first word I want to unpack, and it's not in order, but the first word I want to touch on is this word saved. You might be wondering, but this is where you get your terminology for what you are. You often refer to yourselves, if you are a Christ follower, as somebody that is saved. We talk about saved people and unsaved people. This is the verse that we start to bring this theolo theological concept to bear. And it's an important word because it's, a, it's the way that Paul summarizes everything that he's been talking about in the first seven chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We don't have time to read it today, but what I will do is just summarize it. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul reminds us that we are dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses. If you are saved, you were dead in your trespasses, past tense, which means that as a sinner, you are dead. Not alive, you are dead. I don't know how many dead people you've seen save themselves. But you can't, right? Dead people can't save themselves. And Paul's reminding you of that simple fact. He's reminding of us today. We were dead in our trespasses. And not only that, we were under the dominion and the rule of evil beings. When we were in that space of sin, the enemy was our God. 
And then he goes on to say that we were at that particular moment in time also lost and without any hope because the wrath of God was coming for us. But then in verses 4 to 7, he starts to give us an idea of what he's trying to use this word save for. He starts to tell us that all of a sudden, as we move from death to life, Jesus makes us alive again. We are raised with Christ. We are no longer the dead that we once were. We now are living. We've been given newness of life, the Bible says. You know, when Nicodemus spoke to Jesus about this concept of being born again, he couldn't understand it. But the fact is, you can only be born again in order to be saved. Because you have to move from death to life. And then Paul goes on to tell us that not only have we been raised to, raised to life again, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are ruling and reigning with Christ. Notice in this entire passage here, there is nothing about what we did to get there. It's all about God's gift to us. God did this all for us. And that's the word saved. It means something significant. And so the next time you think about this concept of being saved, I want you to ask yourselves, do I really believe that I'm saved? So often I think we say it, but there's moments where we don't believe it. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. The second word that Paul speaks about is the word grace. Now, of course, Charlie did a great job last week in dealing with this word. And so I'm not going to go through it again. But in summary, grace is the opposite of deserving something. You see, what we deserve is punishment. What we deserve is hell. That's what we deserve. We are sinners. Every one of us. There is no such thing as a good person. Every human being on the face of this earth is a sinner. We're told that the heart is deceitful above all things. That's who we are. We live in a world that wants to teach us that there is no bad people, that everybody's got a choice to make and their own relative reality is what they can live by. That's not true. This is an objective book. It gives us objective truth. There are right and wrongs in this world. Before Christ, we're all sinners. And so the challenge is grace is giving us what we don't deserve. You see, justice is God punishing us for our sins. Grace is God punishing Jesus for our sins. And that's what happens in this great exchange. We're raised to new life. Jesus gets the punishment. You see, because God is just, there is a price to pay. There is an atonement that is required. Somebody has to carry the can on this. Grace is it's not you or me. It's Christ on the cross. And then the third word that Paul uses is the word faith, what we're going to be talking about this morning, the topic of the solar. He says, by grace you are saved through faith. Notice that Paul doesn't say we are saved doesn't say we are saved by faith. It doesn't mention that we're saved by our faith. He says we are saved through our faith. And it's interesting how you see that, because if you think you're saved by your faith, then it's got something to do with you. But if you realize that faith is actually the channel, the mechanism by which you receive from God, you start to realize that without faith, you can't have grace. But let me tell you about where this faith comes from, because this is important. Faith is not a human achievement. It's not based on your popularity. It's not based on your opinion. It's not based on your goodness. Faith is a gift from God. Paul says in the second half of verse 8 that this is a gift from God. God gives us the faith that we need to believe in God. Think about that. God gifts us the faith so we can see him. John 6.44 is put another way by Jesus to reiterate the statement. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Your faith is a product of the Father giving it to you. We can say that Jesus Christ is Lord by the Holy Spirit. 
that should blow your mind, right? The fact and the revelation that my faith is not a product of my own doing, that it is a gift from God, changes my life fundamentally and in two main ways. The first way that it changes my life is it reminds me that I did nothing to get saved. And when I think of it that way, it means that I can't do anything to become unsaved. You know, if I did something to get saved, I could understand that maybe I could do something to become unsaved, lose my salvation, become lost again. But because I did nothing in the first place, it was given to me, there's nothing that I can do to take it away. John 10, 27, Jesus speaking, he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life. Do you know how long eternal life is? Like forever. Right? I mean, I can't understand it, but eternal life means forever, not for some time. And then he says, and they will never perish. But that's wrong. The correct translation is they will never perish as long as they are good people, never sin again, and never make another mistake in their lives. And read their Bible, say their prayers, and do their penance. doesn't say that. They will never perish. And then Jesus tells us that nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Nothing. When we're in his hand, we're not going anywhere. And then he goes on to even add to that. He says, and guess what? It's not just my hand that you can't be snatched out of. You cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand, the creator God of the universe, who spoke the universe into existence. Nothing can take you from his hand. Friends, our salvation is secure. And the reason I'm laboring this point with you this morning is that the enemy is out to attack identity. We see it in the world. We see identity being attacked all over the place. We have people who don't know who they are anymore. You're not allowed to know who you are anymore because who are you to say who you are, right? We live in a non-binary world where there is no objective truth anymore. We live in a world where people are forcing us to believe in things that really don't exist. And so that happens out there. We think, yes, we get to that. It's the world. We're believers. It doesn't happen here. It happens in the church. And you know what happens in the church? The enemy wants you to believe that you are no longer a son and a daughter of the living God. How he attacks Christians is he convinces us all the time that we are not children of God, that we were not saved from wrath, that we've got something wrong with us. When the authors of the New Testament, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the authors of the Old Testament, wrote this book, their purpose was to give us assurance of salvation, not doubt. This book is not here so that we can look at it and say, mm, maybe, maybe I'm not saved. <laughs> Hang on, I've got to read something else. Oh, no, no, I'm still not saved. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? This book is about you reading it and saying, well, goodness of God saved me. That's it. You know, when you get to heaven one day, let's just imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a lot more awesome. But let's imagine God asks you a question. And the question he asks you is, what did you do? What did you do to enter into your rest? What did you do to make it into this place called heaven? I want you to think about that just for a second. What did you do? See, our mind and our flesh naturally go to, well, you know what? I mean, I remember that day. It was 12 years ago. I was sitting in church. I made a decision. I decided, Lord, to follow you. And so we go to God, we say, I've thought about it, I know what it is, I chose you. That's the wrong answer. You see, the fact is, when he asks us, what did you do to enter into this place? The only answer we can ever have is nothing. I didn't do it. You did it. Your son did it on the cross, and you gave it to me. I have done nothing. I'm telling you this to warn us, because our flesh wants us to believe we have something to do with it. And if you've got something to do with it, then you can lose it. But when he did it, no one can ever take it from us. You see, if I can talk you into something... If I can talk you into getting saved, then somebody can talk you out of it. But when the Holy Spirit does it, when God gives it to us, nothing can take it from you. Nothing can snatch us from the Father's hands. It also takes the pressure of us believing this truth when it comes to evangelizing to the lost. I mean, how often do we feel guilty about not getting that person across the line, saved, 
our family members who have been you know, pushing hard against us. We feel so bad because they just don't see the truth. I've had that in my own life. And we just think, I can't, I can't get through this person. And then the enemy comes and goes, yeah, you're not, you don't read the Bible enough. That's why it's not happening. You don't know the scriptures enough. You're not holy enough. God doesn't love you. He's not anointing. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You know, look, these powerful people, they'll save it like that, but you can't do it. The fact is, if God calls us and if he gives us the gift, we can't save people. And so our job is to obey God's commands. Go and tell people the gospel. Tell them the truth in love. Tell them how much God loves them. And then have the freedom to say, Lord, it's in your hands. We do not control the process of salvation. We get to play a part in it, but God does the saving. We just do the sowing. And so we need to live our lives understanding that, and it will free us. Paul tells us clearly, salvation is not of works lest anyone should boast. There cannot be a clearer definition of salvation in the Bible. Because guess what? If there was something that you had to do, then you would be able to boast. That's the truth. If there was something you had to do, even make a decision, then guess what? It's actually up to you. Now you say, how does this work, Marco? Because I did make a decision. Somebody asked me to raise my hand, to come up to the front, to pray for me. But you know what? That faith, that quickening, that regenerated heart was a product of the Holy Spirit, not of your own doing. Faith alone means that trusting that by trusting in Jesus and believing him, we are saved. We go to heaven and are part of God's family, not through works, prayer, penance, paying indulgences, but by the gift of God. And so there are some things about faith that I want to touch on really quickly before we end. We've got three points with 13 subpoints in each of them. 42 points in total. Yes, I know you look pretty scared. Don't worry. No, I'm just kidding. There's only three points. The young ones are like, what the heck? First point. The Christian life is a life of faith from start to finish. Sometimes we think faith is something we need to get. I'm going to prove to you it's not something we need to get. Romans 1, 16, Paul speaking, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. You could translate the for there to the word to as well. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We think that faith is something we need to get, but faith is something we've been given. See, from faith to faith means this. The righteousness of God is revealed, talking about the gospel, talking about our resurrection, seated in heavenly places with Christ, ruling and reigning with him from faith. Whose faith? Christ's faith. And it's given to us. Jesus gives us his faith, and we take it and say, wow, thank you, Lord. What a great blessing. And so our life starts with faith. Our Christian walk starts with faith. So don't ever think that you don't have faith because you've got faith. And it's not just any faith. It's Christ's faith. We've all been given a measure of faith. And then our life continues in faith. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11 is reminding us of the simple fact that this life of ours is a journey. It's not telling us that Jesus will love us any less in the moments where we have bad days or our faith is weak or we're struggling to believe God. It's not saying that somehow God will be displeased with you and he doesn't love you anymore. What it's saying is that it takes faith to count out the steps of your life and to get to where God is taking you. This passage of scripture, Hebrews 11, the context here is important. It's talking about the heroes of the faith. People like Noah, Abraham, people like um, Moses, right? All of these men and women of God, because there's women in there too, lived their lives looking forward to a day that would come, believing that it would happen, but never really walking into the fullness of their reward. 
Abraham never saw the multitudes of people he was going to give birth to or through his seed. Moses never made it into the promised land. The point I'm making is this. A Christian life, the Christian life, our lives, is not only started by Jesus' Jesus' faith, it continues in his faith. And the reason why it continues in his faith is God has a reward, an inheritance for us. He wants to give us something. It says here, he rewards those who seek him. This passage of scripture is not talking about salvation. Sometimes people will turn this into a salvation passage and say, well, if you don't have faith, you're not saved. That's not what it says. It's saying that God wants to attach to your salvation many rewards, many things that he wants to bless you with. Just like Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, just like Paul says that one day I'll stand before my creator and guess what he will say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. God will, he says, in heaven they restored up for me the crown of righteousness. I fought the fight. I've run the race. It is done. It is finished. I've done everything God gave me to achieve. This journey of ours requires something from us. It's not salvation. It's reward. And that leads us into the second point, which is, while faith is enough, works are a part of God's plan. Now you're thinking to yourself, but Mark and I, you and I'm lost. No works, no works, well, what is going on? Let me be clear. There is no work that's required to be saved. Nothing you can do. There is no work that is required to keep your salvation. Nothing you need to do to keep it. So you've got it, and you have it forever. It's got nothing to do with what you do. Everything to do with Jesus. But... What you receive when you stand before God, the reward and the promise and the inheritance that he's going to give you has got to do with your works. Now, again, I'm going to be crystal clear. I'm not trying to put anybody under a system of works. But God has saved us for works. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Let's read verse 8 to verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Fine. Great. We're done. Thank you, Lord. Paul, you're amazing. I'm free. I can do what I want. Hang on, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, Christ's workmanship. He created us. He called you by name. Before you were even born, he knew you. And guess what he did? He created you in himself for good works. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. Okay, and then he goes on to say, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of us have a destiny. All of us have a calling. You don't have to be Martin Luther or the next whoever, Billy Graham, to think that God can use you. God has something for you that he wrote specifically for you before the foundation of the earth. There is a work that only you can complete. There is a journey that only you can walk. There is a life that only you can touch. And the enemy has wanted you to believe for so long that you're not good enough and not capable of it. Nonsense. If the God of the universe wrote my destiny, believe me, I'm capable of achieving it. And if you're wondering, what do these works look like? What is it? Is it reading my Bible? Is it you know, saying you know, the same prayers over and over again? Is it you know, like selling everything I have and you know, going and joining a homeless encampment or you know, buying a piece of land and inviting anyone to live on it? That's pretty weird. Don't do that because that ends up badly most of the time. What are these works? The works are summarized in this statement. It's our vision, to know Christ and to make him known. What are the works that we've been saved for? To know Christ and to make him known. To know Christ, Matthew chapter 22, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor yourself. So to, 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 to understand what these works are means that we believe in the great commandment, that we love God and we love people. And then it goes on to say, and to make him known. These works are about us making disciples. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus is saying. Go now, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to obey all that I've commanded and know this, I will be with you until the end of the age. Living out our works means we believe in making disciples. And not only disciples, it means we believe in making witnesses. And we are witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those are the works we've been called to. And if that's not enough, and because I'm such a great fisherman, I've got one more for you. Matthew chapter 4. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Forget about Shark Week, friends. I know it's hard because I'm so awesome. But God wants us to be fishers of men and women, just to be clear. These are the works that God has appointed for us, He's prepared for us, and He's equipped us for. And so, in this context, post our salvation, works matter. What's more, God is going to reward us for them. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. God will not overlook your works so that, you may not, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, friends. There is a promise. and There is an inheritance. We get heaven. That's the, that's the start of the journey. Jesus bought that for us, but there is so much more for us. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if I get a bigger house than you get a bigger house in heaven. I don't think that matters. But what I do know is there is a sense in heaven where we feel like we've been rewarded for the things that we've done on earth. The greatest reward is to be close to God. But there's other stuff. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 puts it this way. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a dying hope, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the clincher. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. God is storing up a treasure chest in heaven. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a reality to what God will reward you with when you get to heaven. That side of eternity. We experience some of it on this side. Don't get me wrong. Like all of a sudden you can do things this side of eternity that you could never do before. Like, you, like I could stay with drugs. I could never do that without the Lord. And so there is an inheritance I received today. There is an ability that we have to love people like we've never loved them before. That's from God. So we get some of them here. But afterwards, on the other side, not only do we get Jesus and God who's more than enough, by the way, but he gives us all of this beautiful stuff. I say stuff because I don't actually know what it is. And to be honest, nobody can really tell you. What we do know is it's clear in Scripture. There is a reward. There is an inheritance. And when I get there, I'll figure out what it is. I'll let you know if I get there before you do. I'm just joking. I can't. Last point. The, truth about, the last truth about faith that we need to know is that, is that our faith can and should increase. Many years ago, I was told that we need to be careful not to treat faith like a rubber band. Something that can be stretched. There's no such thing as stretching your faith. We use that term all the time. Let's stretch your faith. Instead, we need to treat faith like a muscle that needs to be exercised. Faith is a muscle. It's not a rubber band. And so the key is, well, how do we grow? How do we exercise this muscle called faith? The first way we do that is we believe in God's word. This word is filled with promises, promises, promises on every page almost. Do we believe what these promises say? Some of the promises we will receive this side of eternity. Some of them we can stand on this side of eternity. And some we will stand on in the life to come. The disciples had the same question for Jesus. They asked Jesus, how can we increase our faith? In, in Luke 17 verse 5, And Jesus said to them, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. 
What Jesus is not saying is he wants to turn them into magicians that can go make mountains disappear and things throw around the room and get everything crazy. What he's saying is believe in who I am, the creator God of the universe, that when you trust me and all the things that I've done, you can do great things. Make me the Lord of your life. And all of a sudden, doors will open. Lives will change. The sick will be healed. The dead raised to life. The addicted set free. The marriage is restored. The second way we grow our faith is we are good stewards of the things that God has given us. In the parable of the tenants, Jesus says this parable. He says, the master said to him in verse 21 of Matthew 25, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When we are faithful over the things that God has given us, what are the things that God has given us? Our time. What are we doing with it? How you use your time will determine how much your faith grows. If your time is dedicated to God, your faith grows. Your treasure, finances, resources, the things that God has given you in the natural when we recognize that they actually belong to God and how God wants to use them, he'll tell you our faith starts to grow. And when we use our talents, our giftings, the abilities that God has given us, when we use them for the kingdom, our faith begins to grow. The third way that we grow in faith is through obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus' love language. If you love me, then you will obey my commandments. You want to grow in your faith? Obey the commandments. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Be my witnesses. Take the gospel to the lost. Our faith will grow. Believe me when you do that. And then lastly, our faith grows when we face the furnace of life. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, In this you rejoice, though now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, tested genuineness of your faith, our faith is tested for genuineness. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the one thing we were promised in terms of our life on this earth is trouble? Sorry if I, you didn't know that. But Jesus promised us trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, the world is against us. The systems of this world are against us. We live in a different kingdom to the kingdom of the world. Everything about it is against us. Our flesh is against us. The enemy is against us. Your wife is never against you or your husband. Don't, they're not your enemy. In truth, people are never our enemy. The principalities, the powers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, those are our enemies. And they're against us. But guess what? No weapon formed against us will prosper. What's more is whatever trial we'll face, whatever difficulty we go through, whatever obstacle we have to overcome increases our faith. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ask them if the fire made them faithful or faithless. Let me tell you, when they came out the fire, they were full of faith. Even though they said, if my God doesn't save us, we will still serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter whether we get out of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar, or we burn like whatever, chitlins in a pot. We will serve the Lord. The fire goes on. They get inside there. Who shows up? Jesus Christ in the fire. They come out the fire. Nebuchadnezzar has a radical revelation of who Jesus is. Everybody's faith has increased. Furnaces of life increase faith, not just for us, but they become a megaphone for people around us. When you're suffering, when you're going through a difficulty, and you can stand up and say, I will serve the Lord. I love the Lord. He is my God. He is my Savior. Then guess what happens? People's faith increases too. That's what God's calling us to do, friends. Faith is the mechanism. Faith is the assurance of things not seen, the things hoped for. It's given to us by Jesus. We have it by Jesus, and we need to go out and use it now. Yeah. I want to close with John 3.16. We all know this passage of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
What does this have to do with faith? What is, I mean, why are you saying this, Marco? This is an evangelistic thing. This is what we tell people when we want to get them saved. We don't do the saving. Remember, God does. But why are you bringing this up? When I read John 3.16, I read the New Covenant. You see, back in the day, Martin Luther's day, in fact, let's go back to Moses' day. There was an old covenant. You know what the old covenant was? It was ten laws called the Ten Commandments that were given to humanity. Do these ten things and God would be happy with you. But guess what? They couldn't honor those ten things. And so God split it out. He said, okay, well, let me help you a little bit more. We're going to take ten and it's first going to be a little bit of hundreds of laws, right? And then hundreds wasn't enough. And we got more specific. It became thousands of laws. Until today, there's thousands of ceremonial purification and uh, moral laws that the Jewish people have to follow today. But then Jesus comes, dies. There is a new covenant, right? It's the blood of Jesus. sets us free. The law of the Holy Spirit. He writes it on our heart. We don't need to follow all those rules and regulations. But guess what happens? Not even 1,500 years after Jesus, the church goes back to the law. And they start to tell people, but actually, no, it's not enough. The cross isn't enough. You need to do all of these other things too, before you get saved and after you get saved. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've done it again. We do it to people all the time. We heap guilt on them. He burdens on them. Tell them that they're not good enough. Or we believe what the enemy tells us about ourselves, that we aren't good enough. See, when I read John 3.16, it reminds me that the new covenant, the one that we're saved into and given by the Holy Spirit, is the only covenant in all of existence, in any religion in the world, that comes to us from the Creator God of the universe, without price, without payment, without religiosity, without rules and regulations. It comes to us by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us today, Lord, through your word. Thank you that the work of the cross is finished, that we don't have to add to it. There's nothing we can take from it. Said it, in fact. You said it is finished. I pray today, Lord, over every single person here that you would give us the revelation of us receiving our faith from you. That in the moments when we start to doubt and question our faith or question our ability or question our salvation or question anything as it relates to who we are and our identity as sons and daughters of the kingdom, that you will remind us that the faith that we have is your faith. I pray that you'll help us to push into that faith, that you will start to use our faith to achieve the great commandment and the great commission. Not so that you can love us anymore or that we can be saved again or stay saved, but so that we can just partner with you in this glorious gospel. I feel like there's an opportunity now if anyone wants to just repent of works, repent of your own flesh, repent of you know, your own abilities and that you've put them before God, I, I believe that that's me as well because I often do that sometimes. I think that I can achieve more things if I do things on my own. So maybe if that's you, if you just want to just raise your hand with me and we can just pray and just say, Lord, forgive us and help us to never fall for that again. If you've made works, something you strive for, if you've doubted your salvation because you're not good enough, if the enemy has allowed you to believe you're something that you're not, then just raise your hands with me right now. We've all said that at some point in our lives, we felt like God was disappointed in us. That's the lie of the enemy. 
Father, I pray for every single hand raised this morning, every life that is revealed through it and every heart that's behind it. I pray that you would free them today in the name of Jesus, that you would bring freedom to their lives, for it is freedom that Christ died, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We can't go back, friends. And the word of the Lord is this, I love you. My son and my daughter, receive the gift of my salvation that I've given to you. Father, empower us to do the works that you've called us to do, not out of obligation or out of religion, but out of relationship. I pray this over every single person here today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Thank you.